So as it started out, it was sort of its typical weeknight, and uh, my wife and I were invited over to our friend's house that we hadn't seen in a long, long time. So we went over there. We, we didn't even lock our front door because it, we were just going to our friend's house. And uh, we went there, and the house was, like, huge. And, uh, you know, we, we saw our friends, and we were, we were, like, hanging out with them. And some of their kids came out, and we're talking about video games. I was talking about how I finally got a PlayStation Portable. And uh, my friend, uh, he brought out this, uh, like, three-ring binder that has some really old video games from the 90s in it. Like, a P- yeah, like PSP games, right? What were those that they had, like, the little, um, it was like the little miniature CD inside a case kind of thing. PSP, right? And then what was what was the uh then there, there there was another one that came out after that. And and his son had just started getting into the really old video games from like, you know, like nineties or two thousands. And uh and then like we were walking around and it was just a weird place. There was like all these animals roaming around in there and everything and it was getting really late and we're like, you know, we didn't lock our front door. You know, we really got to get going, but we just kept sort of hanging out. And then as we left, we 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 sort of, <coughs> their house was so huge. It sort of, we as we thought we found our way out, we were in this like shopping mall and it was, it was, uh, it was almost closing time. It was at the point where the mall had already closed, but the restaurants were still open. So I guess the mall closed at 930, but the restaurants were still open to like 11 or something. So we were in this one part of the mall and we were like, we just couldn't figure out how to get out. And we wound up in all these back corridors in like, you know, sort of like in the industrial section, like the, 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 the heating and air conditioning areas, the maintenance bays. And it was this whole area and we could not find our way home. So we, we just, we found this one little area that we were just going to camp out in overnight it was just, you know, sort of, and then, you know, we would go out in like by the parking lot, but then behind the mall, there was a section with, you know, the air conditioning units and this, all this other stuff. And we were wandering around. There were other people that were working there, like the night shift, I guess, but they didn't really notice us. So we had this place that we were like kind of, ha- uh, <coughs> it was almost like, it almost seemed like a section that was kind of under construction and sort of exposed to the outside, but there's a little interior section. And so, uh, I said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to try to go back to the mall, see if I can find some stuff. And I started like, uh, exploring the mall and I wound up in this, uh, uh, this, this department store. It was completely closed, but somehow I was able to get in there and there were all these different sections, uh, with, uh, like weird toys and stuff. And I was able to call my wife with my cell phone, but I, but she wasn't answering. I think she was, she was getting a, uh, her hair done. She, there, there was a haircutting place that was still open. And then we we're going to meet back at that, at the place we were, we, we originally were going to camp out for the night because we were so lost. And I got her answering machine. So I, I just, I left a message. Hey, Denise, I'm in this uh, weird, I'm in, I'm in the department store. There's all these weird toys here and things. And, it was almost like I, like in each section, like there was a wall that you could kind of see through into the next section. It was weird. It was like weird projections and stuff. And uh, 
I, I, I'm like, I gotta find my way back to that place we were staying. That that was the only place we had. So I tried to. There was this one, like the end of one section of the mall, and then you would go in this back corridor, and I could not find my way out. I wound up walking through these all these weird uh, <coughs> corridors. There was like an area, almost like an recreation area for the employees, like an indoor swimming pool and then a uh yeah like various like rec rooms or or break rooms for the employees and i was just completely getting lost and there were some like police and like security officers but they didn't again they didn't never seem to notice me they just sort of assumed i was another employee there <clears throat> and finally i just had i had to go to the bathroom so i wound up there's this section where you go down these stairs and it's this weird area with all these weird urinals and stuff and uh so I went down there and uh, tried to find a place to uh, go to the bathroom. Uh, then <coughs> things really changed. It's a whole different scenario. Um, um, I think my wife and I again. It was like later. This this situation had developed. Um, we completely wound up in this other place, this other world. And we were sort of uh, producing this TV show, a reality show, uh, but for these super powerful beings, right? Like they, it was like a, uh, um, there were, several of them were dragons, right? Like in some fiction, dragons can take human form, right? They're like these ancient dragons in hum- that, that also had a human form. One guy was like an ancient warrior, like the soul of an ancient warrior that was reincarnated, it was about like six or seven like ultra powerful beings, and it was a reality show where, where we would sort of take them on different adventures and have they every week they would have different challenges, like a reality show or something, like the Amazing Race or something, but with these super power powerful beings. So there was an incident that happened, um, in this one segment, and what happened was. It was a challenge where everyone was wearing these these costumes, dressed up as these like weird like sports mascots or something. Um, and I was in one of the costumes too. I don't I don't know if I was still the producer or one of the contestants. Um, it was one of these things where, <clears throat> you know, like the, there was like a huge head above you, and you were sort of looking out of a little black rectangle of cloth below the head of the character. So we were sort of. The challenge was we had to go visit somewhere and as these characters and then interact with people in a certain way. Yeah, it was like we we were disguised as these kind of beings and wound up going into a town, like a festival, or maybe it was a festival where there people were wearing these kind of costumes. And um and then we were gonna go back to our to this um building sort of like this cave in the side of a mountain that we were using as like a a place we would stay and all these beings were again they were super powerful and they were constantly scheming on how to like destroy each other and stuff and um so in the course of going into this town and going to this festival there was this um like a magic curse was was uh flying around and two of the contestants got turned into these weird little worms almost like you know like Mr. Mind from the old Shazam 
a comic book. Like two of them got turned into these little tiny worms and they were still inside these costumes. I'm like, oh, don't, don't worry about it. When we get back to our compound, we'll be able to turn you back into your normal self. Um, you know, it's just part of, part of the challenge. You know, there's weird curses at this festival in this weird town. It's almost like in the desert or something. So on the way back, again, I was sort of in charge of this whole thing. I was like the producer of the show. And on the way back, um, and we, as we were sort of getting out of the costumes and going back into the compound, we found out, like, did you hear what happened? Like, two of the characters, like, the, the two of the dragons, or maybe one of the dragons got turned into a worm, and then the other one, and then one other character that was another kind of super powerful godlike being, like, they, they ate and killed the other contestants. I'm like, what? Why would they do that? And then it was revealed because, like, the prizes that were awarded in the show had to do with, like, immortality and invulnerability and, and like, omniscience. You would get all, like, the winners would get all of these rewards. And, but we had these bylaws that, you know, if any contestant killed another contestant, there would be this trial. And then... Weirdly, like, the trial process sort of intersected with the prize process in a way that they calculated in this, was like a super devious complex plan that uh, they found out that by killing the other contestants, there'd be this sequence of events where they would achieve total victory, become immortal, impervious to any harm, omniscient and like all these other things and I'm like oh man we never figured this we didn't figure this out when we set up the rules and even the cell were like listen those characters that were quote unquote killed could be resurrected because of their you know their powerful status but again it triggered the sequence of events where uh, certain characters were able to uh, achieve a much greater level of power and it was this whole debacle. It was this whole like disaster, you know, like like the show was ruined, and these these beings became like so much more powerful than they than they even they were, and it, it was like uh, this disaster. And I so at that point we started looking back at the old footage, trying to figure out like what we did wrong, right? So like we were just going through like we had weeks and weeks of footage of this reality show we were shooting with these powerful beings. And there was one scene where we were in a just in an actual studio and we were filming a scene, but it was like a movie within the movie. So it had it was like a scene where the uh like the union members of the crew were setting up like it was almost like um you know in a traditional game show you have like three podiums and people stand at them and then there's a little bell they ring oh i'll answer the question you know you know and there's a little there's a little display that shows how much money they won right so it was like the the it was all about like how the un like the electricians union and the lighting union were how they were setting up this the game show behind the scenes but it was i'm not describing it properly they were it was a scene in a studio of actors playing the union members building the uh, the podiums that would be used in this game show that was an early stage of that show 
where the super powerful beings, the dragons and stuff in human form would, were, were like just answering questions on a game show. And so it was sort of like recreating the stages that went into the show. <laughs> and then there was like this, there were all these analyses of like these charts of how did this character who was like, who was a regular dragon, but because of the show became a gold dragon. And because they were a gold dragon, they became like impervious or immortal. And it was the whole thing was a scheme by these dragons to become gold dragons. Eventually it's like the whole, the whole game show. And at one point, um, like the, the actors playing the union members were like talking about like, um, you know, why are we even filming this? Like, this seems kind of pointless. Is it just so they're like, they're, well, we're filming it because in your union, there's a contract and there has to be a certain number of scenes. So we're just, we're filming this scene about union members just to satisfy the need uh, in the contract of a certain number of hours of work for the union members. Otherwise, the scene is pointless. Something like that. <coughs> so yeah, in the end, the, the dragons became gold dragons and the hell. Then I woke up. <laughs> that was my dream this morning. Just a few hours ago. Like, not even a few hours ago. But the dream went on and on. Like, I'm telling you, like, the part where, the, when it started in that weird shopping mall, that must have been even, like, a, I went to bed about 10, and I woke up around 11.30 to go to the bathroom. So that's why I had dreamt about going to that weird bathroom. But I remembered it, and then all during the night, I think I woke up a couple more times, and the whole dream was very, it just kept going with the, the gold dragons and all of those plots and all those 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 uh, machinations and everything. It just kept going and going all night long. It was so weird. And we called this the gold dragon dream. <laughs> gold dragon's dream. It was wild. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, I have to, I have to get up. It's like 620 now, so. Isn't it supposed to be light out at 6.20? Didn't we have daylight, the end of daylight saving time? Why is it not light out yet? Is it? Oh, it's starting to. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. I, I was getting confused because it was already like 6-something and it was already still dark out. But then we have the, isn't it like back to standard time? I don't know. Um, yeah. But yeah, there's there's a whole... I don't know where it started. Um, like... Uh, I know, like in uh, some fan, like what is it, ur urban fantasy, uh, the Harry Dresden series by uh, Jim Butcher, James Butcher. You know about the wizard detective guy. I read that whole series, and sort of like Game of Thrones. There's supposed to be more books, but the guy is completely like delayed. Now he used to like write a book a year. I wonder whatever happened with that book series. But anyway, there there were some characters that were dragons, but they were just also like humans, like they're able to take human form. And then also, yeah, in uh, in uh, World of Warcraft and uh, the Hearthstone card game, there's dragons that uh, also have human form. So I don't know when that all started. That dragons can take a human form as well. Um, and it's weird that they the characters got turned into worms, like little Mister Mind worms, because. I think the uh, W-U-R-M is another name for a dragon, like that old worm smog, you know, and like the Hobbit, that, didn't they call him like the old worm smog? Well, thief, I 
can smell you if I can't see you. I was thinking of that Rankin Bass Hobbit again. Like the best thing ever. The best version of the Hobbit ever. Door without hinges, key or lid. Yet inside golden treasure is hid. Ah, exit is. Hey, Brother Theodore, the best Gollum. But it was kind of cool. Andy Serkis, the guy who uh, played Gollum in, in the movies, the Peter Jackson movies. He he was in Star Wars. <coughs> um, well, he played that horrible character Snoke in 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 the the garbage Disney movies that they made in the past couple years. Uh, but then he just played. He usually plays a like a, a computer generated character, but in the show Andor, which is the best Star Wars at least since Revenge of the Sith. I mean, it's the best Star Wars that's. In some ways, it's one of the the obviously the original trilogy and then the prequel tr- trilogy are, in my opinion, very good, and everything else pales in comparison. Andor is so good and it's still going. Andy Circus is just as himself as a human being. He plays a, a prisoner uh, along with Andor, and uh, he's so good. It's so cool to see that guy Andy Circus like as himself. Yeah, it's weird because like his name is Andy Circus. Like, oh, let's go to the circus with clowns and elephants and stuff. But it's spelled S E R K I S. So it's funny. Like, if you if you just heard the name, you think his name. Hey, I'm Andy Circus. You know, like he's a, he's like a he's like a, a ringmaster or something. But no, um, if you just if you read it right, because usually when you hear about Andy Circus, it's more in articles and stuff. You you don't think that it like 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 a circus like like a three ring circus because it's spelled differently but it's pronounced the same Andy Circus <laughs> what a name wow anyway you know last episode I was talking about I I think we may have figured out um, what made me so sick the other day when I was in at, at at work it was horrible right it was like so weird you know because it was like um. Like pain in my lower gut, and then a slight back pain from when I bashed the back of my back in that copper pot. Uh, and uh, you know that combined whatever was sort of making me feel like very like, not I would say nauseous, but just unwell. And then where I was sitting at work was like, even though the blinds were down, it was like this: the sun was blazing on the the white blinds, and the whole area was like super bright. And everything combined was this like sort of horrible like uh, haze, and I almost like I couldn't even stay awake. I was trying to sit there. I was like, I must have been nodding off. I don't even know what the hell was going on. But we think it was this cauliflower dish. Um, let me see if I can find find that dish on the menu, because my neighbor Brad he uh, he had some bad cauliflower once. I think they call it a cauliflower steak, and I think if cauliflower is undercooked in these dishes, like, it can cause great intestinal distress. Let me see if I can find what this stuff was called. And uh, so I think he's saying he thought it was it was the cauliflower, because they did have the cauliflower dish. You know, when we went to that, uh, that, bar, that bar where we had trivia night after voting, of course, I voted for Pogo Possum. <coughs> I still didn't tell them who I voted for. I, I don't want... Like, they were very... You know, like, most people were very, you know really into the 
the, the election this time, and I I wound up voting for a for like a seventy or eighty year old cartoon character, Pogo Possum. I described last me, last episode exactly why I did that. Um, <coughs> but anyway, I love I love that. Uh, let's see. I don't know if they have their actual menu online here. Yeah. Why? Oh, sorry. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm I, I'm record. I was recording my dream. Oh wow. Sorry. It's a weird morning. Anyway. Oh, here it is. Okay, yeah, I found the menu. Yeah, so I had the miso roasted cauliflower with sesame seeds and tahini. And, uh, and, uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I mean, I usually don't have like a cauliflower dish, but, it, but it was exactly the same. He said like, like bloating, like low, lower abdominal pain caused by cauliflower that may be undercooked. So have so much of it, especially with all, I guess, with all of the oil and stuff it's cooked with, it just sort of causes a disaster in your intestines. Uh, so that's the question. Was it the cauliflower? In my show notes, I, I wrote cauliflower question. That sounds like it's one, it's, it's one of those like psychedelic bands from California in like 1967 or, or 68. Cauliflower question. Yeah. Doesn't that sound like a band? Psychedelic band. Yeah. Anyway. After I finished, you know, up the show, went on the bus, it was really kind of, it wasn't as bad as, it, you know, it wasn't the worst experience, but then just walking home, I was so tired and cranky, and it, it felt like it took forever to walk home, even though it was only about a 10-minute walk, and um, I just, like, I got home and did a few things, I had to take out the, the, the recycling and the garbage and did a few things, and... um. <clears throat> um I went to bed at 7.30 and I slept. I, I, I got up briefly because I, I had on my phone, I have a a sound generator because I, I like sleeping with the, there's this sleep sound machine from Hamaker Schlemmer and there's there's knockoff versions of it now. I'm really used to sleeping with that on. So on my phone, I have a, I have this, this version that plays, a, I found it has an air conditioner sound that's pretty good, right? that I use when I'm on vacation sometimes. You know, just for, like, you're used to for sleeping because it kind of provides a nice bed, just like you're laying on a bed to lay down a nice bed of sound. What is this app called, by the way? White noise. White noise something. I don't know if there's any. Let's see. I can't even find the name of this, like, app. Hold on a second. <laughs> White Noise Generator by Am I Cool Soft. <laughs> it's a software company that's not sure if they're cool or not. Am I Cool Soft, all one word. Anyway. Um, 
Yeah, and I, I woke so I turned on that sound, and then the battery of the phone ran out around like one uh, thirty a.m. So that woke me up, and I because I was I was sleeping in the guest bedroom, and then I, I switched to the regular bedroom after that, and I slept all the way through to the morning. So I slept like eleven hours. So I really I slept it off, but I was in really bad shape. But this menu uses a font which I'm pretty sure is uh, Mason Sands from Emigre. Those emigre fonts are coming up a lot lately. And I was telling my neighbor that this font was controversial because they originally named the font Manson after Charles Manson because it was a weird, like, cut-up font. And, like, it's almost like they were making fun of all the murders of Charles Manson, so they changed the name to Mason. Let me see if, let me see if this is actually a Mason Sans font. <clears throat> Yeah, yeah, that's it. Let me see. It's an interesting font for a uh, a menu, but I'm, you know what? Yeah, it is, because so, there's some... Yes, the alternates. They're using the alternates, like the weird M that slopes down like a roller coaster, the O with a dot inside. Let me see if you can find the uh, the controversies surrounding this. I took a little break there. I got the information. <coughs> but now it's still, what is it, two days, three days. It's, it's Friday now. Election day was Tuesday. They still don't know who won the House and Senate of, of the federal government of the United States. They're still counting the votes. Though they said it was uh, it was not the red wave. The Republicans didn't do as good as they thought they were. Um, I think the last I heard, they are expecting the Republicans to uh, take control of the House or they call it the GOP, the Grand Old Party. <laughs> it's a Grand Old Party. Senate, they're saying it may remain 50-50, in which case the Democrats remain in power because the Vice President, currently Kamala Harris, is the President of the Senate and can cast a tie-breaking vote. So anyway, they still haven't counted the votes. What the hell? Very anticlimactic. Very anticlimactic indeed. Um, yeah, but, uh, so what, here's this, so, actually, I guess uh, this Font Mason was at, was a, a display at the, the Museum of Modern Art. I do remember they had a, they had, like, a font display there once. I haven't been there in a long time. I should go back there. I think they still have their free Friday nights. I don't know. Uh, so Mason now by Jonathan Barnbrook, the font designer, in 1992. And here's what it says. Barnbrook originally called this typeface Manson after American serial killer Charles Manson. To ex- Is he considered a serial killer? I, I guess so. It's kind of a special case, but let's not even worry about that. Um, he created, he, he inspired other people to go kill for him. Was that the idea? Did he ever kill himself? I don't know. Named after American serial killer Charles Manson, to express extreme opposite emotions, love and hate, beauty and ugliness, he has said. Its distributor, Emigre, Inc., suggested the name be changed to Mason, as the letter forms also evoke Stonecutter's work. Freemason's uh, symbology and pagan iconography, and its design, Barnbrook said, he was influenced by 19th century Russian letter forms, Greek architecture and Renaissance Bibles. The font also displays many references to popular culture, politics, and typographic design. Mason's postmodern attitude is undeniable. 
And like Neville Brody's Blur, also in the collection, Mason emerged during the explosion of digital typefaces in the early 1990s, both products of the technological and cultural influences of the time. Okay, so this was from a uh, an exhibit called Standard Deviations from 2011. Gift of Emigre Inc. What, what they just they gave them a, like a digital copy of the font, but the museum couldn't buy it for what is it like like twenty twenty dollars or something? <laughs> anyway, yeah, that's the original serif version. <laughs> of course, I, we're talking about <coughs> Mason Sands, which is definitely kind of a cool font to see. Very nineties, postmodernism. We, I think we're post postmodernism at this point, but the whole idea of postmodernism. Right was sort of a reaction to what we think of as mid-century modern design in all in all ways that people were sick of it just because familiarity breeds contempt. They were too familiar with modern design, so they became postmodern, right? Where there were like references to the old things, but it was a new thing, yada yada. <laughs> but when did postmodernism end? I know it was still going in the 90s, but I think it probably, was, the 90s was around the end of it. Should we, should we look up what's going on with postmodernism? It's very early in the morning for this kind of stuff, but we have, to, we, have, we have to do research. Research in the morning is necessary. Postmodernism, let's see. What years did that last from? Oh, Encyclopedia Britannica, what the hell? Why did I get that hit? They must be paying uh, Google for, the, for to be higher up in the search results. Postmodernism is largely a reaction against the intellectual assumptions and, assumptions and values of the modern period in the history of Western philosophy, roughly 17th century through 19th century. All right, I, I think I need to be more specific. Postmodernism in design. Postmodernism is an eclectic, colorful style of architecture and decorative arts that appeared from the late 1970s and continues in some form today. It emerged as a reaction to modernism and the modern movement and the dogmas associated with it. Okay, that's that's more, you know. Postmodernism is actually an umbrella term for many visual styles that came about after the 1980s. They are unified by their reaction to modernism's guiding principles, particularly that of objectivity. A key feature of postmodernism is the subjective bias and individual style of the designers that practice it. I think it may have something to do with uh, modernism's like uh, elimination of, of decorative elements, right? Or excessive decorative elements, and postmodernism brings some of those back, but with, with a new angle, right? That's just... Listen, it's too honestly. It's too early in the morning for postmodernism right now. I really, I, I, I don't, I don't know. Okay. See, it's, it's kind of similar to the to the genre post rock, right? It's a, a music that's a re, that's a, a reaction to rock music. Post post rock, right? Should we look this up? It's it's too early. Post rock. But yeah, I mean, it's a good genre. I mean, I, I would I would point to post-rock is a form of experimental rock characterized by a focus on exploring textures and timber over traditional rock song structures, chords, or riffs. 
Post-rock artists are often instrumental, typically combining rock instrumentation with electronics. I, w I would point to the album um, TNT by Tortoise as, I would say, really almost like a perfect album and one of the greatest albums ever. And, um, yeah. <coughs> oh, wow. So Talk Talk did produce one of the foundational works of uh, post-rock, post I think probably with Laughing Stock, right? I was just talking to someone about that. They mentioned Tortoise's 1996 album, Millions Now Living Will Never Die, as, as a uh, solidifying the genre. But I do think a few years later, I believe it was 99 when they released TNT. Because <coughs> um, I've tried listening to Millions Now Living Will Never Die, and it's, you know, it's okay, but it's not anything good. TNT is where it's at. And really, they never achieved achieved anything like TNT ever again. It is an album that... Yes, 1998 was TNT. It's an album that stands on its own. It is a world unto itself. It has a cool cover, too. It's like this weird cartoon character. It's like someone, it's like someone drew it on the actual label of like a, a CDR or something. Um... Let me just play you a little bit of the first song, which is called TNT. It's an explosion of post-rock. Yeah, I mean, it just... The whole album is just utterly amazing. And they actually played the whole album live a few years ago in Chicago. There's a video of it. Um, do, right? It's so great. And I tried all their other stuff. They, I mean... I try to like their other, their other albums, but again, nothing comes close to TNT. Can you imagine such an important, enormous, life-changing, world-changing album? Well, at least for certain people. <laughs> Came out in 1998. That was a time when music was generally sucking, you know? I'm going to come in and go, dude, yeah. Shouldn't listen to too much of this. It's copyrighted, but it's so good, though. Oh, my God. What a treasure. And uh, the song titles are kind of postmodern, too. <laughs> wow, it's hard to even... The song titles are so long that they're not even showing up in Apple Music. Let me let me find the, uh, the entry for it here to kind of try to... Uh, get the names here track listing after TNT we have swung from the gutters then 10 day interval I set my face to the hillside the equator a simple way to go faster than light that does not work the suspension bridge at Iguazu Falls four day interval in Sarah Mencken Christ and Beethoven there were women and men Almost always is nearly enough. Jetty and Everglade. Now I know, and of course the Japan edition had, uh, they have, always has to have a bonus track, the, the Nobuzaku Takemura remix of TNT. I don't know if I've ever heard that. Anyway, those, those titles are kind of, they feel kind of insufferably hipster and pretentious, but believe me, don't worry about that. 
The album is great. One of the best ever. Anyway, I'm on a roll here in the morning. It's, 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 well, it's, it's, still, it's still in the sixes. It's still 6.59. It's still not even 7 a.m. yet. But, I mean, since we turned the clocks back, this would have been 8 a.m. Now it turned to 7. It would have been 8 a.m. In, in daylight saving. Daylight saving time, not daylight savings time. Daylight saving time. Um, I've been playing Marvel Snap. This game uh, is so good. Um, Marvel Snap is a game you can play on your phone or on your computer. I know there's a PC version. Um, <coughs> this guy, Ben Brode, is this very charismatic spokesman. He used to, he used to work for uh, Blizzard, and he was the spokesman for Hearthstone. He was like the director of Hearthstone, a collectible card game. I still play that. And he quit and formed his own company called Second Dinner years ago and said he was working on a project with Marvel. And I couldn't imagine it would be any good. But he developed Marvel Snap, a game where it follows the format of a collectible card game. That is, you build a deck and you go in and fight someone else. But it was streamlined um, (coughs) to be... Uh, much shorter games, three-minute games. There's three lanes. You have a deck of 12 cards. You can only put four cards uh, in each lane, and there's six turns, or if you get Limbo or have Magic, then you have seven turns. And um, the cards each are Marvel superheroes, and uh, you get them through a process. There's no packs. like There's no random packs of cards like most of the games have. What it is, is you, you get a few cards to start with, and then, like most of these games, there's these various forms of currency, there's gold, there's credits, and it's free to play, but you can pay money to go faster, and how it works is you improve the quality of your cards, like you might have like the Hulk, and you, you have to get Hulk boosters and then credits, then you can take the card from a basic version. <coughs> First, it's the character is a frame break. It, it goes out of the frame, and then it's 3D. Then it's animated. Then it has a shiny logo. Then it has an animated frame, and then it goes to infinity. And then when the card goes to infinity, it splits off, and you get a new card with like a random effect, like rainbow effects or black and white or weird like little like like lights spinning around it. And you can keep improving your cards forever. As you improve your cards, you you move up this track and you get various rewards, including more cards. And it it gets very slow, but I just got a new card this morning. I got the Invisible Woman. (laughs) Not one of the better cards. I really want Ghost Rider, most of all, and I want Agatha Harkness, too. Um, But I just got Invisible Woman. It's not a card I particularly care for. It's an ongoing card. (laughs) The cards you play here are not revealed until the game ends. <coughs> but yeah, I, 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 I mean, it, it's days between me getting a new card, and I need so many cards. I'm at level 1971. Nice. I started playing kind of uh, illegally. <laughs> not really illegally, but there was this streamer named... Uh, what was his name? He had a particular name. 
like a video game streamer. That's a good profession. I don't know why I never entered the profession of being a video game streamer. What the hell was his name? Because I, I know I have him on uh, Discord. Oh, his name was Casino, but it's spelled K-H-A-S-I-N-O. Kind of like Andy Circus. It sounds like Circus, but it's spelled differently. This guy's name was Casino. And he was promoting this idea that even though it was in a closed beta, we could download the APK file and load it on our phones and play the game, even though we weren't officially invited to the beta. And then everyone, like, so in this game, you, it takes weeks and months to build up your collection. No one knew if they were going to wipe our accounts of us illegal players. But they didn't. They let us keep all our cards, which is very nice of them. I think Casino must have been in contact with the company. He reassured people it would be okay. So I've been playing the game for a while, but I wasn't able to spend any money on it, which is probably a good thing. <laughs> but uh, And it has the rewards track, which is the, the blight of modern games. They kind of got rid of loot boxes or random packs in these type of games and just added the reward track <coughs> which as you play you accrue experience points and you uptick on this track which is in fact this game has many different tracks <laughs> the thing I'm talking about is one track and then there's the rewards track is a different track listen they do this to confuse people to make more money <coughs> but I have been paying for the rewards track Anyway, and you can individualize things in a lot of ways. Like, well, and this is the game where I called myself Okinpino, one of my more obscure names. I usually call myself Sneaky TT in these games, but because it was I, it was illegal, I chose a random name. Like, this is a, a word I came up with for like a character many years ago, Okinpino. But I really like it. It does sound like a weird superhero name, Okinpino, O K E N P I N O, Okinpino. And uh, you can customize yourself with a superhero image and you get those randomly so i got a multiple man jamie was it jamie madrox multiple man that's a really cool image he has this real smug expression you know he has that sort of weird like helmet thing on with the big x for x-men on it and a big collar his superior power was to make multiple copies of himself that's a good one and then you and then now they just started having titles and i the, the first title i got was pretty good a lot of the titles suck uh, mostly in control the second one I got was, if I lose, do not take credit. That's that's not good. So you have your name, your title, your avatar. So you're really individualizing things for yourself. And then you, uh, you know, you have to make your decks. And I was very proud of myself. I actually, you know, you have to make your decks based on the cards you have. There's various pools. So I already blew through pool one and pool two, but pool three is the one where you get the cards randomly over the course of months. And so you can only build the decks you can build with the cards you have. And uh, I found a, a deck called Fun, which was... Uh, do I have the original Fun here? Yeah. So the original Fun was someone else's deck. It had uh, <coughs> um, Blade, Lockjaw, Lady Sif, Maximus, Jubilee, Iron Man, Magic, Vision, Hela, Odin, the Infinite, and Death. And it was a really, it's a really cool deck because it just has just all these different, has all these different angles. Like you can't really play too much early on, but later on, basically you're trying to bring out the big cards like Death, uh, Infinite, Odin, right, and Vision. Uh, magic allows you to extend the game to seven turns, which is really helpful because you need time to build the stuff up. And the two ways of doing it is using Lockjaw, 
where when you play a card, it teleports the card back into the deck. So it's really great if you use magic to extend the game and then teleport her back into the deck and bring out one of the big ones. You can also do discards with Blade and Lady Sif and then try to use Hella to bring them back, right? And then you can use Jubilee to bring out a card. And then also the Lockjaw-Jubilee combo is great because you play if you have Lockjaw, you play Jubilee, she brings out a card, and then she teleports in the deck and brings out another card, right? So anyway, I improved it to make my Fun X version where I brought in a few other cards. So I basically, I brought in, so it's Blade, Lockjaw, Wave, Lady Sif, Jubilee, Magic, and then Captain Marvel, Hella, Odin, Giganto, uh, and the Infinite and Death. My, and I actually published this on one of the sites. I call it Casino Giganto, not no relation to the other Casino guy. It's called Casino because it's very random. But this deck wins a ton of times. It's a great deck, and I made it. It's my deck, Fun X. Or it's actually called Casino Giganto, but it's called Fun X on my site. <coughs> on my, I should change the name of the deck, I guess. But here, <coughs> but there's a separate site I signed up for. That's like a fan site that I. It's called. You can look it up. It's it's on one of them. I forget which one it is, but Casino Giganto. This deck rules. I love this deck, and again, it has a really great win rate. You know, and I you know, I put Wave in there, which really does mix things up. You know, because you you can get a really you you can get Giganto early, or obviously playing Death. Infinite's a little harder to play because you 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 know because usually you're <coughs> you have to skip a turn. So basically, you're trying to get Infinite off of Jubilee or Lockjaw, or of course, as you know, from Hella if you discard it. I know it's not making a whole lot of sense, but anyway, um, been enjoying that. And then also, uh, I was looking at that site. The top meta deck is a Sarah Miracle deck. And it just so happens I had all the cards to make the top meta deck. This this deck is insane. This has a huge win rate. This is Ant-Man, uh, Angela, Mojo, Scarlet Witch, Colleen Wing, Mysterio, Bishop, Rogue, Maximus, Dracula, Sarah, and America Chavez. And the hell is that? Oh, oh, the, uh, the dehumidifier is full. Okay. All right, dehumidifier, I get it. You're full of water. I'll empty it in a moment. I, I was, we were always going to talking about like dr- drilling a hole in the floor of the basement and letting it drip into the hole and just go into the earth and never have to empty the dehumidifier, but that those plans never materialized. Anyway, what was I saying? Yeah, so this deck is the Sarah Miracle deck is amazing. Let's let's play it, shall we? Let's play a few games of Marvel Snap here in the morning. See what see what we got going on here. I usually have the sound turned off because the sound is annoying, but let me turn the sound back on here. <clears throat> Where the hell's the sound? Come on. Master volume. Okay, master volume. Okay, here we go. This drains the battery on my phone so much. All right, let's play with. Uh, let's let's try uh, my my Casino Giganto first. All right, so I'm playing. Who's my enemy here? Searching for opponent. Madrigrarurur. What? People try to have these jerky names. Majidaruror. 
All right, so we have Strange Academy. <clears throat> Move cards to another location. Okay, I'm going to use Blade. And usually the problem with Blade is, like, I wind up discarding my Hela every time, but the other cards in hand right now are Odin, Death, and Captain Marvel. Uh, any of those are great to discard because they'll come back with Hela. <clears throat> as long as I don't discard Hela. That's why I need Ghost Rider because Ghost. if I discard my Hela, I can get it back with Ghost, get her back with Ghost Rider. <clears throat> it's like an insurance policy, but I don't have Ghost Rider yet. The next Necrotia. Yeah, I can't play anything here. I got Jubilee. Nice, Scorpion. The Scorpion doesn't affect me too much. It reduces the power of each card in your hand. Turn three, I got nothing. We got Westview from WandaVision. And these are kind of crappy locations. Killmonger. Okay, all right. He kills all the one-cost cards, so I lost my blade, but... All right, they snap. That it's sort of like the doubling cube in backgammon. Stark Tower. All right, so I, I can play Jubilee, but I think I really need the uh, the Lockjaw Jubilee combo. And I also got Hella. <clears throat> Who did I discard? I forget. All right. Ugh, I'd like I'd like to get the Captain Marvel out, but I don't I don't have my magic yet either. I'm not doing well here. All right, so I'm going to play Jubilee, the Jubilee Lockjaw combo. Here we go. This is this is the casino aspect. What are we going to get? We can get two cards. I uh, hopefully I get Magic as one of the two because I really I need a little more time with this deck. And I'd love to get Captain Marvel out. She really is like a really good card. So she moves at the end of the game to try to. She can move to any lane to help you win the game. Come on, Magic Roar, play. Yep, some people lag like this. That it takes them a long time to make a decision. There's not that many cards. Just play a damn card. There are a few times that where it's it's a tough decision, especially with that other deck. <clears throat> but this is the big turn, the Lockjaw Jubilee combo. Lockjaw is like a giant dog that teleports from the Inhumans. You know that one? This is ridiculous. Oh, it, it's what? It was me that was causing the problem, not the other person. I forgot to hit end turn. Sorry. Sorry about that. Here we go. Jubilee brings me Wave. Okay, nah, that's not really great. Wave doesn't help too much this time. And then I got a rock. Where'd, I, where'd the rock come from? Oh, that freaking rock slide. Shuffle two rocks into your opponent's deck. All right, I'm, I'm really not doing good now. At this point, I can't play Magic because it's turn five. I'm just going to have to do a Hail Mary. I'm going to do, like, Hella and see what the hell, like, I, I, I'm I'm losing this one. That rock really messed me up. And I didn't, I didn't get magic out <laughs> early enough. You know, magic used to be able to play on turn six, but they nerfed her, so you can't, you have to, you can't play her on turn six. <coughs> but the artwork on the cards is really good. This is a really great game. Um, Jeez. Defeat. I blew it. Oh, well. Yeesh. Alright. Let's try that other deck here. Sarah Miracle. Maybe I'll do a little better with this one. Oaken Pino. Mostly in control. Who am I playing now? This is a game... Like, each game is so short. You're like, just one more. Just one more. Alright, I have Julius. A bit of a scientist. 
All right. Dark Dimension. Cards here are not revealed until the end of the game. That's not really good for me, because I really need cards to be revealed. So I'm going to play Ant-Man in the middle lane. Ant-Man is a one-cost card, but if you, if it's if you have all four cards in, a, in an area, he gets four power. I got Dracula. Dracula's good. So I have Mysterio, but I'd like to wait for Mysterio until I get Bishop. <clears throat> Bishop uh, gains power for every card you play, and Mysterio plays three copies of it itself and then two copies, two of which are illusions. All right, so I got Bishop here. Hmm. I don't know, man. I'm not really digging my options here. <clears throat> this sucks. All right, so I'm playing Bishop in the middle lane. See, I really should have mixed it up. I shouldn't have played Angela in the middle lane. Hell's Kitchen, Crimson Cosmos, Dark Dimension. Yeah, I kind of blew it. I, I I needed to mix it up because Crimson Cosmos. I can't. I, most of my cards are not. You know. <clears throat> All right, I'll play Dracula in that right lane. The cr Crimson Cosmos. Dracula, like, is sort of you discard a card at the end, which you're hoping is America Chavez, and then he, he gets the power. <clears throat> anyway. All right, I have to finish up here with Sarah in, the, in Crimson Cosmos. She reduces the cost of all the cards. Then you can have a big turn six. And I have Rogue, so I could steal a uh, any ongoing over here. You can steal an ongoing power with Rogue. Oh, wow. That's a, and there's all these alternate art cards. That's a cool alternate art card. Okay. You, you, you can do this star eye thing to show that you like their card. All right. How are we going to do here? <clears throat> all right. Let me try to just fill up Dark Dimension here. Um, hmm. Yeah, hopefully the bishop will pump up enough, and then Dracula can can uh, can get can discard can, I guess bite America Chavez and get her power. So I have no idea if I'm going to win at this point. <laughs> but Mysterio definitely pumps up, but I but Mysterio only has two because of the Crimson Cosmos, so it's not really pumping up Bishop as much. All right. Oh, it looks like I got it. Yeah, this deck is insane. It really is. <laughs> nice. This deck is insane. <coughs> Let me see. I need to play one more six-cost card, and then I'll, I'll complete all the missions I have. Nice. Anyway, we'll do that. I'll do that a little bit later. <laughs> Strange your battery so much. <coughs> anyway, that's Marvel Snap. Hey, hey, it's a lot later now, and uh, I, uh, yeah, I, I decided to work on some show art, just trying to do something real quick. So I opened a Photoshop document, two thousand by two thousand pixels, and I just made a a paintbrush. First a larger paintbrush with light gray, did a few strokes, then a little bit smaller one, darker gray, a few more strokes, and then finally a much darker gray, a thinner stroke. And as I was drawing it, there was a weird jitter on the mouse, and it created the shape you see there on the show art. I'm like, wow, what, wait, that might actually be good. 
So I, I figured I'd just try to do something real quick. So I, I took the type tool, started typing the overnightscape, and it was the font I used on the um, the Complete Polarized Worlds logo. It's a VHS font. <coughs> and then I just, what should I call the show? And after a minute, I'm like, listen, I just want to try to do this fast. How about Golden Dra- Gold Dragon Dreams? And it just all came out like that. So I'm like, wow, artwork done. I like how that came out. I was originally thinking of doing something in black and white than having the neural filters um, colorize it, but it, it was it's on the other computer, so I, I'm like, I think it looks good as it is. Um, didn't need to be gold. Gold dragons. What is it called? Gold dragon's dream. It's a weird phrase. Gold dragon's dream. Right? What, what is it? Like gold dragon's dream. Dragon's dream. Dragon's dream. Yeah. That was kind of cool. <coughs> and uh, yeah, also in the morning I was I was working on the update to the Onsug radio station inside a book, the actual book update. And I was almost done and I had all these technical problems. I, I think it's because I didn't reboot my uh, PC for a week or two and it got all mucked up. And uh, I lost some of the work I did, but then I, I brought it back. You know, this book is, a, you know, an enormous. It's thousands of pages long, and I update it each, each uh, week with, uh, with all, the, all the new shows in there. And, yeah, I mean, I really do need to revamp the whole thing, and I'm working on it. But for now, I'm just trying to update it in the form that it's in. Um, the cover says over 11,000 hours, but now we're over 13,000 hours, see? What's 1,000 hours, give or take? Well, it's a lot of, it's a lot of time. A thousand hours of, of great audio content? Come on. Yeah, so I'm going to get that going. And uh, oh, another interesting thing uh, at work, we started a, a, a Spotify playlist. I don't use Spotify, I use Apple Music, but they kind of share music with um, the car coworkers because we have a lot of conversation about music. We have very different musical tastes. And I wanted to just play for you. Some of these are songs that I really feel are important, I wanted to share. Other ones are kind of reactions to things we were talking about, but let's see if we can do this. Just the songs I share. This is kind of a random list of important songs. Let's see if this works. Started off with a Slip Inside This House by the 13th Floor Elevators. This is an amazing song. Really the only song by the 13th Floor Elevators I really dig. It's a 7 minute, 51 second version. Bedouin tribes this thing. And then, of course, the subtleties of river power. And then, of course, I had to put the Primal Scream version of the song. Another very important song from a very important album, Primal Scream, Screamadelica. Was it from 90 or 91? And they covered the song in a very different way. Anyway, next up we have... uh, Funeralopolis by Electric Wizard. Yeah, I'm really not into metal, but I do like doom, stoner doom metal, and Funeralopolis, if you can fast forward a bit here. I love this song. I, I mean, this is so great. This is total stoner metal doom. And next up is a song. It's, a, it's another song by a band, and this is really the only song I dig by them. It's Noi with Hollow Gallo. The song, I mean, this one song, it's a 10-minute song, but it's so important, and it really influenced Stereo Lab a lot, too. 
Um, I've tried listening to other noise stuff, but I don't know. Some bands are one-song bands for me, you know? Just fast forward a bit. You get the idea. It's called the the motoric beat. Next up, uh, from the IDM side, is uh, Audiker from their Confield album, Pen Experts. And I, I love IDM. As I was talking about last time, yeah, last time, <laughs> this is a new show, not the one I did. Uh, you know, um, Brain Waltz era is in the same genre, but Audiker, I think, goes further in a direction of really music that on the surface almost sounds unlistenable, but there's a, there's a structure, there's a beat to it. This song, Pen Experts, is, I love this song. It could take some getting used to. And, of course, a, a, a group I adore with all my heart, everything they've done, Herb Albert and the Tijuana Brass. This song is only a minute and 32 seconds because I figured I was, I was putting too many long songs on. Uh, Green Peppers. Um, I think this was sort of a reaction to Green Onions by uh, Booker T and the MGs. <laughs> And that, I was reading about that, that trumpet sound is so unique. You don't hear it anywhere else. It's slightly detuned. And someone said it's because he, Herb Albert played, he multi-tracked over himself and produced this incredible sound. I, I still listen to Herb Albert and the Tijuana Brass all the time. It's always a pleasure. This is from Whipped Cream and Other Delights, the much-parodied album cover of a, of a girl covered with whipped cream. Um, <clears throat> this is, uh, next up, Devil, Devil Got My Woman by Skip James. <clears throat> this is uh, one of the most haunting and important blues songs, in my opinion. It's hard to figure out when this is from. I think he redid it, but I think this is from the 20s. Right, this is a great song. Next up, a song I only recently discovered. It's really a, uh, the quintessential um, native tongue song with Jungle Brothers, Tribe Called Quest, De La Soul, and Moni Love. And I think Queen Latifah is in there too, possibly. Doing our own thing. And this is the long version that um, Trugoy has his, his part in because I think Trugoy was edited out of some of the other versions, but this is a song I only recently discovered I think is amazing. It's me, Plug 3, the one they call Baby Huey, the one that gets all the buddy. Buddy was their their term for sort of like poontang, was buddy, you know, I get all the buddy. It's their, their slang for it. Plug 3, of course, is uh, Maceo from De La Soul. It's me, Plug 3. What a great song. I didn't know about this song. It's amazing. I want to just hear the part with Plug 3. It's coming up soon. Plug 3, the one they call Baby Huey. The one that gets all the buddy. It's It's coming up soon. Soon. 
Anyway, check that out. There's also a video of a shorter version where Trugoy is not in there, but I like Trugoy's part, though. <coughs> Trugoy the Dove, now known as Dave. Coming up next, uh, this song, Mystery Movie Theme by Henry Mancini. You know this song, and if you don't, you should. It will haunt your dreams forever. Yes. And I think some people associated this with Macmillan and Wife. But the, the mystery movie, I think the Sunday mystery movie had several rotating shows like Columbo and, you know. Anyway, what a song. <laughs> haunt your, it'll haunt your, the deep portions of your mind forever. Coming up next, we have Star Spangled Banner. This is another band, I think, as I was talking about with, with Tortoise. You know, they're, you know, psychedelic, electronica, and they have a bunch of albums, but their Tales of the Inexpressible, I believe from 99 or 2000 or 2001 is a perfect album and none of their other albums come close to this album and this song Star Spangled Banner is basically encompasses so much of what's great about them let's fast forward I am a shaman magician the sun is purple and then towards the end, it gets to this. This is such an amazing song. This song is like everything. It goes through so many phases. Get down. Oh. <coughs> that is amazing. You know, some, some bands are really one-album wonders, in my opinion. They hit it on all cylinders on one album, and they never got it back. Here's another pair of uh, songs, uh, a cover and then the original. One of my favorites by Happy Mondays, Step On. Twisting my melon, man. Talk so hip, he's twisting my melon, man. Call the cops. Honestly, this is, this is the heart of Madchester. Baggy. Call the cops. Anyway, I absolutely love this song. It, and it's a cover. This song, John Congo, is a South African musician. The song was called He's Gonna Step on You Again. Also very good. Um, so amazing songs. He, he also did a couple of... They also covered another one of his songs on that album. Pills and Thrills and Belly Aches. Hey, Rainmaker. Anyway, you can check that out. Another very important song, uh, of course, from Mr. Wesley Willis, Rock and Roll McDonald's. Honestly, this is... McDonald's is a place to rock. It is a restaurant where they buy food to eat. (laughs) It is a good place to listen to the music. People flock here to get down to the rock music. Now, obviously, this is a very eccentric guy, and it, but it, I do not believe this is not making fun of the guy. The music is absolutely brilliant. Um, 
he's unfortunately passed away. He was he had mental problems. He was like a kind of I think on and off homeless in Chicago. Also an incredible uh, artist. So many of his illustrations. I would love to own one of his pieces. Uh, really amazing guy. I remember I learned about him on Howard Stern, where he had a song about Alanis Morissette that went Alanis Morissette. <laughs> that was a great song. But actually, there was a rock and roll McDonald's in Chicago. There was a location of McDonald's called Rock and Roll McDonald's, and they just—it was a rock music, like sort of, I guess, a '50s rock music theme. Pretty wild stuff. Important stuff. So then I added a few very important songs, a lot of important songs. Um, of course, Boards of Canada is a wonderful rabbit hole to go down. If you don't know them, you have to. And I think Kid for Today from their In a Beautiful Place Out in the Country EP is a great place to start. This is uh, one of those songs that you could just hear forever. This will haunt your dreams as well. Let's fast forward. This EP is kind of uh, themed after the Branch Davidians, you know, David Koresh and stuff like that. Anyway, of course, Boards of Canada, one of the best. They rarely ever release anything, but when they do, it's always good, and Kid for Today is one of their best. Of course, we have The Orb with The Adventures Beyond the Ultra World, another perfect album that, again, they have other stuff. And I thought, I th- I thought The Dream was pretty good, but nothing comes close to The Orb's Adventures Beyond the Ultra World. And Supernova at the end of the universe, a 12-minute song, is a good place to start with them. Let's fast forward a little bit. The whole album is jaw-dropping, incredible. Of course, in the, in the U.S., we got a an edited version until many years later. Now we have the full version. And a girl from Israel made fun of me because I didn't have the full version back around 2000. Anyway, I I can't recommend this album enough, The Orb's Adventures Beyond the Ultra World. Next is a song, really, the only only song I really like by this guy, per se. And um, this version was very hard to find until recently. It's from uh, Roni Size and Represent on their New Forms album. And uh, Brown Paper Bag, the vocal remix was on MTV's AMP double CD set around, you know, around 2000, whatever, that time period. Very hard to find, but now it's on the Super Ultra 20th Anniversary Edition. Again, this is the only song I really care for by this guy, but it's really quite amazing. When is he? Step to the rhythm made out of brown paper. Of brown paper sounds that we bring are of a different nature. Rhythms get greater, and the rhythms they get greater. Yes, another of a tough form for the chaser. New configuration. Anyway, why would they leave that off the album? There's just an instrumental version of Brown Paper Bag. Ridiculous. But anyway, it's kind of like <coughs> the the vocal version of Owl by Indo Tribe. You know, one of the Future Sound of London offshoot bands. I don't have it on here. I don't even know if you can find it. It's almost impossible to find the version. Where they're like, um, what's, what, what's the phrase? Let me see if I can find it. This is not on the list, but let me see if I can find it. It's uh, all right. I found I found one version of it on YouTube. It's so hard to find. Step to me and feel your mind trip. Right, something like that. Step to 
Here it comes. Can you imagine most versions don't have that? It drives me nuts. It's really annoying. Anyway, Future Sound of London, they got a lot of great stuff. Then they became the amorphous androgynous. They, they're, they're all over the place, that Future Sound of London. Those Future Sound of London guys. Anyway, talking about London, uh, here is another group, a, guy, a, a, a British white rapper named The Streets. And his album, Original Pirate Material. I think the second, his, his album after this was also okay, but there was a certain thing about this album, which is around 2000, that really it, it struck on something creatively, musically, an energy that he never got back. And he, he quit then. <clears throat> but this song turned the page. There's a lot of songs called Turn the Page. There's a Rush one, and there's isn't there a Bob Seger one? But this song, then this album is jaw dropping, jaw dropping, and it's it just a, again it stands alone. He was in touch with something. That's it. Turn the page on the day, walk away. Cause there's sense in what I say. I'm 45th generation Roman, but I don't know or care when I'm spitting. So return to his. Yeah, amazing stuff, really. Next up, one of my favorite songs of all time, Running Hard by Renaissance. It's another case of pretty much the only song I like by this band. I've given them a chance. I can think of no other song by this band, and I, and I would need to listen to more, but Running Hard is like almost 10-minute song that I think is a perfect song that may be a top 10 greatest songs of all time, maybe the greatest song of all time. It starts off with the piano bit, and then, what's her name, uh, Annie Halsam singing, incredible voice. Incredible. This touches on aspects of the universe that other songs don't, no other song does. And then as the song goes on, there's this cool section. Anyway, check out Running Hard. Next up, I have uh, kind of a representative song of Mahavishnu Orchestra. Again, they struck on something. You talk about jazz rock fusion, but there was no one like Mahavishnu Orchestra and and John McLaughlin. Um, I chose, you know, from Birds of Fire. My first album by then was Visions of the Emerald Beyond, and it blew my mind. It changed my life. And I remember talking to other kids in high school that said that Mahavishnu Orchestra changed their life. I tried introducing people to it, but it doesn't seem that people get much out of it anymore. I guess I was of a generation where this blew my mind. I chose the song uh, Celestial Terrestrial Commuters from Birds of Fire. I mean, this this album is jaw-dropping, amazing, and for me... I know not everyone's going to get a lot out of this, but I this this blows my mind every time I hear it. Anyway, we were talking about how the, how there was no one in the office one day, so we were calling it a ghost town. So I figured I'd throw in this song, perhaps not on the same level as some of the other songs I've been playing here, but. 
not, I've always kind of you know this song by the specials it's a very good song I remember when I first heard it like it it really does it, it is again they have other songs but there's no they don't have a song like this uh then yeah because we, we were sort of going back and forth musically like you know someone's like you're simply the best by tina turner so i wanted to say thank you so i chose thank you by gentle giant certainly by no means the best gentle giant song but a way to get gentle giant in the door it's from their perhaps worst album giant for a day it's kind of a shame that i use one of their worst songs but but hey <laughs> gentle giant's a band everyone needs to know about and uh just a couple more. This one, again, a hard-to-find mix. This is not on the regular album. Paranoia featuring Max Headroom. This is, you know, my college girlfriend Erin had a, a tape of <clears throat> uh, Art of Noise's Invisible Silence. And this version of Paranoia was in the place of the album version of Paranoia. The Mac, and there's several Max Headroom versions. But this is the one I feel is most important. It's the six minute, 43 minute, six minute, 43 second version. There's this whole like thing with Max Headroom at the beginning. So this is like, to me, a very special song to me. It's a good one. And then in the chat room, someone was saying, you know, they're they're gonna they're gonna try to get out because there's so much work. And someone said, "Walk, don't r- run, don't walk." And so I figured I'd play this song. Actually, a very good song, "Walk, Don't Run" by The Ventures. Sort of a foundational song to reality, really, to me. Right. I mean, this is sort of like the baseline of reality. I mean, how can you get better than this? Of course. It's just one of those songs. It just encompasses the entire universe. And finally, the song we heard earlier, a little bit of TNT. And Tortoise. Perfect album. Perfect song. that's it just figured i would share with you a few important songs maybe you can get some uh, music m- musical suggestions or highlights <coughs> from such a list i would love to hear someone talk about songs i never heard of in that way and <coughs> give me some starting points of what to check out but then again i'm on my musical journey all the time oh you know what's out today oh my god i forgot i forgot i almost forgot the new plaid is out today wow yes 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 Let's see if we can find this here. Browse. Yeah, the new Plaid is out. Plaid, of course, is an, another IDM band. <coughs> or sometimes they call the genre brain dance. I never saw that. They used the term brain dance for the genre before. Feels like a bit of a pet, but let's not worry about that. Where's the new music today on Apple Music? As much as I hate Apple, I use their music service. 
Now, would plaid be on the the main page of new music? No, it's mostly like like hip hop and stuff. <coughs> Anything good on? Because this is New Music Friday, you know. <coughs> Let's see. Hold on a second. You know, this is plaid. P L A I D. You know, you know, like you can have some plaid pants or a plaid coat. Some kind of. It's kind of a cloth <laughs> fabric. I don't know. Yeah, there doesn't seem to be much good looking on uh, the regular new music. Yeah, but so let's just look up plaid. Okay, they they've been actually have a string of incredible albums. I was just listening to the most recent one, a polymer, not not their best from a couple years ago. But here's Fiorm Florks from Plaid. Let's see what's up with this one. This song was already released per specs. <coughs> let's go to the second song. Let's see how Plaid's doing. Fiorm Florks. Fiorm Florks. I like Plaid. This is a genre of IDM that really, it still feels relevant and necessary and like it's still breaking new ground. And Plaid has always been the band, they have a very unique sound. Their music, like, a lot of times, like, whenever you listen to their music, it always sounds different. It's kind of cool. I kind of dig that. Fiorm Falorks. A lot of IDM titles are not easy, though. Let's look at the titles of the songs on this album. This is going to be another another doozy on Fjorm Falorks. We have Perspex. Hold on, let's go to the next song here. Pers- Perspex. Modenet. Wondergan. C.A. Quitcher. Nightcrawler featuring Mason B. Bowl. Return to Return. Thomason and Wide Eyes. Not quite as difficult as some of them. I'm digging this. Yeah, this is very, very plaid. See, I think like with a band like Plaid, you you get like a, a shadow or a hint of what music would be like if music kept getting better since the mid-90s instead of getting worse. I dig it. What else we got here? C-A. It's a very typical IDM sound there. I shouldn't say typical, but it's, it's very much an IDM sound. People hate that genre name, IDM, intelligent dance music, but, you know, genre names are usually not very good, and you can't really control it. Sort of like uh, the vernacular. Anyway, that's the. So I'm very happy. This is what I listen to today. I listen to Fiorm Falorks. What the hell title is that? Fiorm Falorks. What the hell is that? I don't know, but I like it. All right, out on the porch, cigar time now. Airplanes going by, yeah. <clears throat> um, I have a crazy Alice cigar. This is one of the cigars I bought kind of randomly at that. Uh, Casa de Monte Cristo. Remember that weird day I had a few weeks ago? Was it last week? I don't know. The week before. So yeah, this is a Crazy Alice cigar by uh, Drew Estate. Here's what it says about it on Cigars International. We're crazy for Crazy Alice cigars. (coughs) Crazy Alice? I'm not sure if we're talking about an awesome Saturday night or one of the most popular releases from Drew Estate. But either way, I'm in. Drew Estate has been at the top of their cigar game for years now 
and with their Deadwood Tobacco line of cigars, the success continues. Originally dubbed the Three Yummy Bitches, this series of cigars has recently been released to the masses, and we couldn't be happier. The name is crazy. The packaging is bizarre. The size is, well, less than traditional. But you know Drew Estate. You're already well aware that these are on the must-try list. With a Maduro wrapper that's exotic and aromatic, these cigars deliver wave after wave of delicious Drew Estate flavor. Even though they are not infused, Crazy Al cigars are part of the Drew Estate Deadwood Tobacco line, which is an aromatic line of cigars that offer up an intense flavor profile that is naturally sweet and very easy on the nose. After the success of Liga Privada, Undercrown Acid, Natural, and many more cigars, would you really doubt that these sticks are anything less than stellar? The label has like this weird like skeleton face woman with a cowboy hat and there's some playing cards there. It says Deadwood Tobacco. It's pretty wild stuff. And plus it has a little a little tail thing you can like twist twist off. What happened? Oh. I love my uh my metal Zycar uh ashtray. Take the label off too. It's a cool label though. Crazy Alice. Playing cards, man. I have been playtesting Flea Devil nonstop, and uh, I feel like I, I'm almost—I may—I may be almost there, but I won't know until more playtesting is done. Every time I—every time I think I'm there, I'm not quite there. But at this point, I think I might be there. So anyway, let's try this out here. Crazy Alice. <laughs> Crazy. Mm-hmm. It's like more Alice in Wonderland stuff? No, right? It's just coincidental that it's that crazy Alice. Nice. Very tasty. I like cool, like, sort of novelty cigars like this. Some cool torpedo shape. It's a cigar for me. Mm-hmm. It has a little bit of that in flavored, a little bit of a flavored sense to it. Very nice. <coughs> so, uh, yeah, this one topic, I know I brought it up recently on the show, uh, individuality in the morphic field is something that I've really been uh, thinking about more and more. You know, and this this is just about right how we seem each of us seems to be disconnected from each other yet at a deeper level we're all connected right and this is represented i know i talk a lot about rupert sheldrake's theory of morphic resonance and the morphic field but this goes beyond that right when people take like lots of drugs like psychedelics they're like oh my god every i see everything everyone always says i see everything is connected we're all connected right and so many religions are saying we're all connected. We're all part of the same system, right? This seems to be a big trend in all sorts of philosophies, all sorts of you know psychedelic observations, and more recently. And I really do believe that morphic resonance in the morphic field is going to be more scientifically accepted in the coming decades. I feel, as, as, as an amateur scientist, I do feel that um, it's not pseudoscience, and there, they, it, it does have experimental vectors, and I think that 
I know big science is very hard to, you know, has its own ideas and doesn't want to, you know, they've already made up their mind. Don't confuse them with facts, which is fine, except it's science and that you're supposed to. It's supposed to be updated with new facts. I've, you know, we've been over this and over this. But, so let's just say, for sake of argument, that we are all connected in some way. And, right, the morphic field is basically saying it is an aspect of nature like gravitation, like electromagnetism. There's a morphic field. There's an electromagnetic field. There's a gravitational field. Atomic forces have fields. And there is a morphic field, right? (coughs) So, if we're all connected you would expect that each of us would be like part of the hive mi- hive mind, have no individuality, and be like the Borg or, or, or bees or the Phyrexians in uh, Magic the Gathering who are like the Borg, you know. But as we observe, we're, we don't have that. We have a very... I believe that we use... For basic, our basic functions are entirely reliant on the morphic f- uh, field, right? Memory, cognition, interpretation of the world around us, uh, speaking, language, vision, creativity, like all of those things that we have. I believe in the term, listen, I don't believe anything, but I'm trying to say in the context of this theory, all of those functions of the mind would be reliant on the morphic field. That is, all people and then all animals and all life are all connected together. And that is what allows what we think of as thought, cognition, memory, awareness, all these other things, right? Aesthetics, etc. So, why then do we have a sense of individuality? Try to imagine a human being purely in the in the connected a hundred percent of the morphic field, right? Every person would be sort of a carbon copy of everyone else, right? We'd all just be part of this hive mind, and it would just be one thing, right? So every person would know everything every other person knows and feel everything every other person feels, right? So, right, and it seems like that is a, capa- a phenomenon that could exist within the system. Like, why not? Why couldn't people just know everything? Why couldn't they be completely connected? And now, as we observe, we are not fully connected, right? We are, in, we are connected to aspects of the morphic field, but we need to sort of forge those connections, right? So, learning a language, we key into that aspect of the morphic field. We have that the code for that language, but not necessarily other languages. And through a painstaking process, we could uh, forge the code for a new language, right? Uh, familiarity with things, right? Um, some things that we can, what we call learning, see, this is the whole thing. We think of it, we do conceive of something very similar to the morphic field, right? And I've alluded to this a lot in the past, which is that as I as as we can observe, we have our five senses, right? There's a consciousness, which is a complete mystery. Let's not even worry about that. And then we have in our this is the way we phrase it, in our mind 
we have a model of the outside world inside our mind, right? So we have a model of we can we have a simulator in our mind where we can uh, imagine. Like if you're not home right now, can you imagine your house? Of course you can. Can you imagine the rooms in your house? And can you imagine the things that are in the rooms? Listen, it may not be perfect, but you have an overview, right? Especially, can you imagine other people, their personalities? And, right, as we well know, you have to adopt a different communication in different circumstances. If you're at school or at work, right, and in, or in a very formal location, you're, you'll communicate, say things in a certain way. If you're with your friends, you can cut loose and say things a different way. And with every single person you're with, you try to like, you know, like with politics these days, you know, if you're into politics, oh, this person's a, a, a Trumper, you don't want to say certain things to them, or this person's like like a real woke, you know, you know, like you, you so wh- how you do that is you, you have in this model, you have simulated copies of each person in your mind that you can run through conversations with and, and estimate what their reaction will be, right? This is, so we, we observe these things happening. People do have this in, going on in their minds. We just think of it, oh, it's just your thoughts, you know. But what do you mean it's just your thoughts? Um, the ability to model the entire outside world and other people inside a, biolog- a biological computer in your head, I suppose it's feasible, and that has been the, the predominant theory, but when we talk about this, right, it's undeniable that this is happening, right, that, that we are we have access to a copy of the world inside our mind with all the people and all the stuff in the world and everything, right? I believe that when we think of that, we imagine it being inside our brain while it's actually our, that is actually our connection to the morphic field, the right? That world inside our head is not inside our head. It's our connection to the to the whole system, but somehow um, individuality has arisen, which necessitates cutting off various aspects of the connections. Because if you were fully connected to the field, again, it's a hive mind. Everyone is has, knows the same stuff and has the same perspective. It's all the same person, basically, it's just one entity, right? With you know. Uh, billions of different instances and who knows that could exist in, a, in in certain dimensions or certain places there could be a hive mind and I know Rick and Morty has made fun of that kind of stuff and they've they had a hive mind planet like on one of the shows that Rick was dating but we clearly don't have that here like uh, you can observe that we don't have that now people that are psychic right and are able to assert, they claim to be able to ascertain information it's just a slightly additional connection to the to the morphic field, right? It's not you're not mind reading, right? You're you're simply able to being that each of us could potentially have access to all information if we had a hundred percent connection, but we wouldn't have any individuality. What we describe as psychic experience or psychic abilities is a little bit more, a, l- a little bit more, a connection that a person usually doesn't have, right? Anyway, what I'm interested in is if there is such a mechanism, 
which I suspect, which I would say I would give a, a good percentage chance to think that such a phenomenon is occurring and how this whole system works, then how is it individual individuality has arisen? How has it arisen and why has it arisen? That's Those are the questions I have because it almost seems that there doesn't to me there doesn't seem to be any particular limitation as to why every person can't be 100% connected i think they could be but it result it would result in a very different type of world right like i like i said when i'm playing uh, marvel snap oh I, ha- I have my own deck of cards i have my own you know uh, profile picture that would really be kind of meaningless, right? In a in a world where everyone was the same person. So then we're getting to territory where it sounds a lot like, for example, not the Gnostic Christian uh, belief that there was or is an ultimate God, maybe called the Monad that was a single thing and decided to split itself up in order to experience things differently. Right? That sounds very similar to to what could be I mean, and as I meant, I was mentioning this also on the excerpt ramp. Morphic resonance uh, shores up I mean, I, I think what Sheldrake said in a recent talk was that neo-Darwinism has really been uh They've moved past, biologists have had to move past neo-Darwinism and acknowledge that traits gained during an organism's life are passed on to next generations, which they call epigenetics. Now, they have not embraced morphic resonance yet, but morphic resonance is absolutely a mechanism by which traits gained during an organism's lifetime after it's born can be passed on to a next generation, whereas neo-Darwinism states that the genetic code that you have when you're born is exactly what you pass on to the next generation, and nothing, no experience that you gain during your life could be passed on because it's just a, a hard, cold code, right? So apparently epigenetics has, has gone from fringe science and the laughing stock of the biological world to now there's so much, apparently so much uh, evidence that epigenetics is certainly considered. But morphic resonance, as as I have been a real detractor of uh, you know neo Darwinism as a theory, I think it's a I think it's a piss poor theory when you really get right down to it. But when you add morphic resonance in, it all of I would say ninety nine percent of the objections to neo Darwinism as as a mechanism for the life on planet Earth, morphic resonance pretty much melts away most of the objections and presents a system where uh, evolution, as people think of it, starts off with little cells or whatever. Uh, even the very difficult question of the beginning of the earliest cells, all of that is much more explainable using morphic resonance. With still with some kind of material basis, you know, materia- materialist dogma, there is no God, there is no supernatural, whatever, and that the morphic field is, is an aspect of nature, of course, you then face the larger question, well, where does the morphic field come from? Where did gravitation, where does mathematics come from? Right, that's a separate issue. 
So it's kind of odd that I know they've browbeaten everyone in society to the point that they would not dare question, oh my god, I'll never question evolution as the origin of life, when the theory that they're presenting is, and I think as now, as they, as Sheldrake alluded to, it sounds like biologists have had to move past neo-Darwinism as it really does not explain stuff, and especially as we've learned more about um, the contents of our genetic code and, and many other things that neo-Darwinism just doesn't cut it, you know. Yet people are so browbeaten they wouldn't dare question it. Oh my God! If 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 you question it, what are you a religious nut? <laughs> it's been very frustrating because you know I, I I feel it is just a very flawed theory that people have been bullied into never questioning. You know, so maybe because they're, they've been so successful at bullying people, they don't need. To adopt, to embrace what is a potentially a scientifically testable theory in morphic resonance, that could revolutionize the theory of evolution. Right? How does one species become another species? How about those interrelated systems, the irreducible complexity, and how about the beginning of life, the be- construction of the first cells when cells are our understanding of a single cell in a life form has gone from. Hundreds of years ago, thinking it's just a little bit of jelly with with some junk in there, to it is it has the complexity vastly superior to any technology we currently have. Very hard to, without morphic resonance, to sort of come up with a scenario as to how it could form randomly, and actually, neo Darwinists have actually apparently gone to the uh, infinite alternate timeline theory to explain it because they admit like it's almost impossible this could have arisen but if you have an infinite number of alternate timelines yes you know just like the infinite number of monkeys typing on typewriters if you if you have an infinite number of alternate realities one in one of them a cell will just form because ra- of random forces you know you have to jump through hoops to make this thing work you know Anyway, and I and I listen. I'm sure my my grasp of the deeper aspects of current biological science is a bit sketchy, but I think in the broad strokes, I think I'm I think I'm making some kind of a point that shapes of things are not like one planet is, would be connected to every other planet and every other right place that's out there with through a morphic field and things that work would tend to. Um, replicate themselves. So it's all about replication. It's all about resonating. It's all about a shape. Once a shape is established, other other instances of that shape are more likely, right? It does not rely on random uh, chemical and physical phenomena. It reinforces shapes. They don't have to form the idea with and the traditional view is that some kind of self-reproducing mechanism like life would need to initially arise through a random collision and random chemical reactions that happen that you would ev- that you would then arrive at self-replication self-replication is kind of at the heart of the morphic field right you don't have to like have 
randomness until self-replication can come. But anyway, we then get to why is there individuality if this thing exists? And then I think we have to bring consciousness back into it, right? Because if all this stuff is happening in a material universe that has laws and nothing is observing it, there is no consciousness, who gives a crap? Stuff is happening, but there's no record of it. There's no awareness of it. No one's watching it. It just, stuff is happening, but there's no point to it. It's completely pointless. With A universe without consciousness is pointless and perhaps impossible, but we don't know. If a forest falls in a tree, et cetera, et cetera. Tree falls in a forest, not a forest falls in a tree. Was that a Freudian slip? I don't know. Forest falls inside a tree, or a tree falls inside a forest. Not Freudian in terms of it being like, you know, I, sometimes a cigar is just a cigar, but just meta levels maybe. But anyway, clearly we, there is consciousness here. I can say that because I am conscious. I am experiencing consciousness, and I'm experiencing observation. Therefore, I know consciousness exists. As has been pointed out by me and so many other people, I may be the only conscious thing in the universe and everyone else is just an illusion, a figment of my imagination. Whatever. I know consciousness exists and I know there's something to, to experience. So, it all comes back to that phrase that I, I think I coined it. I don't know. I, I don't know. if I really don't know where it came from, but you know, my phrase, what pleases the observer, right? And uh, so you might imagine a system such as has been described here, life uh, operating with morphic resonance as an inherent part of how it works. At a, a raw level, everything is connected and everything knows everything, everything everyone else knows. Everything, it's potentially right, a hive mind which a consciousness would have to perceive for it to make any sense or have any point. Otherwise, it's just random stuff happening in the dark that is not perceived. Individuality in a system such as this would arise because it pleases the observer. That is what I'm saying. That is, within a system like this, I imagine it may have started off as what we think of a hive mind, where every person, let's say, is completely connected to the field and knows everything everyone else knows. And uh, while that they may physically be a distinct person, uh, that can is physically in one place and other instances of people are in other places they're all part of the same mind so there's no conflict there's no jealousy there's no individuality if things need to be accomplished you know in theory in a system like this humans and animals would still need strategies to survive so the hive mind would just be completely cooperative everyone would work together because there is no there are no people there's just one was well, just one people right and everyone would clearly operate to the benefit of everyone else to keep the human the group of human organisms alive and thriving and you wouldn't even need all of them alive if there's a bunch of them in a desert where there's like some sort of drought 
well, who cares? Let them all die. Like, it doesn't matter because you have more, you know? You don't need them. They're, they're, every person is superfluous, right? You just need a certain number to exist, I guess. Like, why do you even need them to exist at all? Like, why not? Well, this is getting, this is getting much deeper, but... So how pleasing is that? It might be somewhat pleasing, but I imagine that the uh, experimenting with cutting off some aspects of cognition from some access to the whole on an individual level produced the origins of individuality, which pleased the observer. It was a pleasing experience. And this really goes to, it really resonates with, you know, I think one major aspect of my working theory of the universe, which is that it's all kind of for the entertainment of the observer. It's all for the pleasure of the observer, right? Everything that's going on here, even though a lot of specifics in the world we're living in now seem very negative, it does ultimately please the observer, but it does seem that individuality is a deliberate artificial addition to a system where it's not required. You see what I'm saying? I haven't put all these thoughts together. This is just, I'm just sort of, you know, spitballing here, you know, trying to figure out, like, like just philosophically trying to figure out, like, sketching out the, the, uh, the structure of what I'm trying to say here. But I think there's an opposing force, which is that <clears throat> as we've observed people are dissatisfied with their state of being they want more who hasn't fantasized about having superpowers or more powers than we have now remember all those ads in the back of like popular mechanics the Rosicrucians you can gain ESP you can levitate objects with your mind. You can gain cosmic awareness. Uh, people want more. And we know at some level that we've been cut off from something we had. And with our current science that rejects the concept of morphic resonance, we can say, listen, you're a single biological entity with a biological computer known as the brain. And you learn by your five senses going into your brain. That's why you're limited. That's why you're cut off from things. If they accepted morphic resonance and the morphic field, it would then completely open up a new field of study, which is, well, how do we increase our connection to the field, right? And gain greater awareness, gain uh what we think of as superpowers. So the whole point is that th this came about because full connection sucks. It's annoying and it's and it's not fun. That I'm saying it was a deliberate process to cut off the connections to create individuality. But with that comes an, uh, an annoyance of being disconnected and wanting to get back to being connected. <laughs> and uh, only by sort of maintaining a worldview that we are not connected to each other 
do we sort of accept our lot in life. But if we knew there was some mechanism, I'm sure, right, there would be ways of uh, artificially changing our connections to the system. And for example, take a pill and, and, lear and learn a new language, right? Learning pills could absolutely work if it, as a science of morphic resonance. You would, you would somehow uh, find a morphic pattern uh, in the field of that language and then just put it in pill form, swallow the pill, and you could learn a language, right? The idea that you could sort of learn anything uh, because we're actually not learning. We're forging connections to what's already there, right? It's not an additive process. It's, sub, it's a subtractive process. Learning is, is right? It's so different. It's like when you think about when a baby's born, it's a tabula rasa. It's a blank slate, and it learns by its five senses. But actually, everything is there, but it's cut off from it through, through a mechanism of individuality, and learning is actually reforging connections that were already there. So I think that as it has been established that people are not happy with the situation they're in, but they accept it because they perceive themselves as science has defined it as individual biological entities that learn through, you know, a blank mind that is then learn you learn through your five senses. That other way of thinking that it's you're not learning, you're you're just re reforging connections that were already there. That would change everything, the way people looked at themselves and everything else. And as a side note, one aspect of indiv individuality is the forged connections to uh, senses of um, uh, sexuality, gender, etc., which has you know become much more prominent in recent years, right, that there's many different types of connections that people have to a sense of what gender you are, what sexuality you have, et cetera, et cetera, right? We've seen this very much, um, not just an acknowledgement of it, but, uh, but sort of an embracing of those specific types of connections as a sense of identity, you know? That people seem to, that they do adore their individuality in all its aspects. But if it was something that could just be tuned like a radio, what would that even mean? You know, what if you could tune everyone to be a certain way? Would you even want that? I'm, I'm sure certain religious groups would like to press a button and make everyone adhere to uh, their view of how people should be. So that would be the danger also of the development of a worldview embracing morphic resonance, right? So I think the final point I want to make is that in a theoretical sense, right, what techniques or technologies could be developed that could alter, essentially add or subtract um, your connections to the morphic field it seems like that is, I mean, has that been explored in science fiction? Um, 
a technology to change it? I mean, you could tune yourself in any way, right? You could, if you learn, like, for example, if you were, you, everyone always said, oh, I wish I could read that book again without ever, like, you, you, could, you could completely forget Lord of the Rings and read it fresh for the first time through a st- tiny alteration of, the morphic, of your morphic connections, right? And, you know, the obsessions with self-improvement, you could defeat your bad habits and change your, everything about yourself you become more creative, less creative, more, you know, whatever, everything by application of such technologies. It's actually frightening to think about. And I didn't realize it was going to go – when I started I, – all I was thinking about was individuality in the morphic, in morphic resonance and in the morphic field. I wasn't thinking about all these other implications. They're frightening implications. Maybe, maybe it's better if everything stays, stays as it is. I don't know. All right. I'm inside and I'm making some lunch. I'm going to have some uh, – Mushroom, wild mushroom risotto from right rice. But yeah, I, I do believe that that conclusion I came to, it's just a theory, of course. There's no proof for any of it. But I think that's what I was sort of felt deep down in my mind, what I was trying to get at. It does feel that pursuit of morphic fields as a scientific pursuit could lead to technologies which would greatly diminish individuality in this society. And if individuality is what is desired, that this field of pursuit would be considered ultimately detrimental to individuality, depending on who's using it. And as I mentioned, I think everyone faced with a technology where you can improve yourself, quote-unquote, and change yourself in such ways would uh, alter and diminish uh, the, individu- the individuality we enjoy at this level of reality. Therefore, those in control, the Illuminati or whatever, in their suppression of such scientific thought may perhaps be doing so in the interests of preserving individuality. I did not wake up this morning thinking that, well, I woke up this morning having that weird dream about gold dragons, but I I didn't have any idea I would arrive at that particular theory. It's a wild one. But it could help explain the, uh, when I, what I was calling intellectual bullying maybe the ends do justify the means it's a good question <laughs> oh wow listen I, I need some mushroom risotto now I, I, I need some comfort food after that rather disturbing theorizing the, theor, theorization hey it's a little uh, later now back on the porch it's really dark and rainy out here thinking a lot about the theory I just sort of came up with. It is, uh, yeah, somewhat disturbing. But I mean, it does resonate with some previous theories I had, which were, were somewhat going towards the same angle, but from a very different perspective. The idea that 
that in some way this world is guided um, down a path that's neither too good nor too bad to stay in a zone of being interesting, right? So if it was too good, we achieve some kind of utopia, the world would, or in this theory, right, we're one world of many, and as this world has kind of uniquely developed, it's uniquely fucked up and weird and interesting ways and were it to were we to achieve uh, the goals of peace and harmony and unity and all those utopian dreams <coughs> this world would uh, become way too similar to other better ver- other worlds that had similar characteristics and similarly if this world were to devolve into a dystopia um, where you know, we see it depicted in post-nuclear z- zombie, etc., post-pandemic, post-extension-level pandemic, post pandemic uh, media. Um, it would then become perhaps too similar to to other, more extreme dystopias. It's only in this middle ground, right, that this uh, that this world remains distinct and important. <coughs> and so, there's some sort of guiding hand uh, keeping it on this middle path that was the previous theory thinking about you know timeline control or something in light of this new theory it's a tuning of the uh, not the field itself but of the individual connections to the field that can keep this world in it in that narrow band of um almost like a unique music, right? A unique chord, right? If you might think of musical chords and the uh, particular range of our and extent of our connections to the field as kind of like a musical chord. And there's there's a narrow range that's interesting and pleasing. Um, Any less connected, and it would be pretty dull. Any more connected... And uh, we would lose lose individuality. Now, it's interesting. That, so, anyway, I'm just saying those two theories are similar, that if there is a deliberate attempt to maintain a kind of a particular tone or particular balance to keep the world interesting in a certain way. Now, interesting to note, it did cross my mind that um, one of the... Uh, you know, perhaps one of the hallmarks of individuality in a tradition in our country here, the United States, for example, is freedom of speech. That is, everyone can has the right to say what they uh, they have to say, and it and it was a, a very important right. And I, you know, and I have never in, in a, like the past year or so, I've talked about it with so many people, and they look at me like I have two heads because I support free speech. Um, back in the, you know. When, in the 80s and 90s at least, I thought it was a fairly universal thing to uh, be... Most people were free speech absolutists, which is the phrase that people are mocking Elon Musk about now. Um, That freedom of speech is absolute and you may abhor and despise what people are saying, but you'll defend to your death their right to say it. That was the rhetoric I heard over and over again. And 
it seems that in just recent years it has eroded and people would are are mocking like look at Elon Musk which I just want to focus on the narrow band of him saying he's a free speech absolutist I don't who knows what that's going on with this guy this guy is bizarre but anyway <coughs> people are mocking him for that and acting like free speech is is a bad thing listen no one ever said it was pleasant free speech is allowing people who have points of view that you find utterly against your sensibilities that you find abhorrent is allowing them to state those views as a basic right it's not fun <laughs> it's not pleasant people have all sorts of views that are all over the place and uh you know the 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 thought is you have to have free speech because though you'd like to ban people who's the one doing the banning so though it's incredibly unpleasant it's the only way to go and it is a component of individuality and i just find it really odd like i don't, I don't hear anyone else really speaking out. I, I mean i guess there's some people speaking out on this topic that free speech is important and it should be defended and it and i just don't get it why people have sort of abandoned it but maybe people didn't really care about it in the first place maybe they were just sort of going with the flow and just saying what everyone else was saying they really didn't care this oh, so this sort of seeming and there was an article i read like the left and the right are abandoning free speech on the right the republicans are banning books on the left uh, the, the the liberals are championing all sorts of censorship of quote unquote misinformation it does seem to be an attack on individuality <coughs> because now everyone is supposed to have the same point of view if you're if you're a liberal if you're on the left camp you believe one set of things if you're a conservative on the right camp you should believe another that set of things and no room for individuality so it seems weird. I'm talking about this. I'm really looking at it in, in just in terms of morphic resonance, but there does seem to be an, an attack on individuality, <coughs> which would seem <coughs> to go against the interestingness of this place, right? Because one thing you can say about the current political climate ultimately all of these people seemingly so passionate about their tiny range of ideas is that it's a big bore it's boring it's not interesting it's sad and boring so if the implication of what i was saying earlier is that the uh you know illuminati or whatever is or the shadow government or whatever the secret forces behind the scenes are working i wouldn't even i would i wouldn't say in, use the term individuality perhaps uh striving to maintain the interestingness of the world because as i've said in some of my theories i think if the world becomes too boring 
There's no point in it even being around anymore. It has to retain its unique interestingness. Not because there's some rule or some law or some uh, uh, committee overseeing our world. Those observing worlds would simply look away, right? The consciousnesses would simply lose interest in this place. Nothing would happen. There would be no explosions, firestorms, or anything else. The place would just, like, the minds or the consciousnesses would just look elsewhere and our world would just sort of cease to exist. It would be like I was talking about a world where there's no one looking. It doesn't matter what happens. No one is even noticing what happens. It would just be abandoned by the observers. So it's not a matter of, oh, you have to follow these rules or else we're going to shut you down. No, it's just if it becomes uninteresting, naturally the observers will not care, which we are. Anyone that's conscious is an observer. Will 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 care to look elsewhere. So I'm wondering where is this uh, boring conformity of the current process coming from? It it almost seems like you know. Well, <laughs> there is there is another angle to this. And I've actually asked this question a bunch of times on this topic. This world is interesting, but in the course of being interesting, it, it is causing great pain to so many conscious beings going through such terrible, torturous experiences and having such horrible lives. Is it worth it? That, to me, might... And I don't know if... I don't know the, the, the ins and outs of that question, but it's a, a question worth asking. Is it worth it for all the negative stuff that's in this world to keep it interesting? Maybe if that's... If there are those that object to the cruelty of the whole thing, the cruelty involved in keeping the world interesting, perhaps um, a campaign toward making the world less interesting to essentially shut it down could be considered the goal of preventing that cruelty, right? So the forces that are promoting anti-free speech and groupthink and, and everyone has the same opinion to make this world insufferable and boring are doing so to alleviate the pain of those living here. If all the observers look away, there will be no there will be nothing left to this world. Right? <coughs> will simply cease to be. I mean, if an observer looked back at it, it would still be here, and you could, you could continue where you left off, but you know what I mean? Yeah. So there's a lot going on with this stuff. <laughs> or maybe not. Maybe I'm just reading too much into it. Listen, they're all theories, okay? It's all a bunch of theories. I just want to say I appreciate this world for how interesting it is. It's a pretty, pretty groovy place for all its flaws. Great. <coughs> Anyways, with, with that rather depressing uh, talk, I want to say <coughs> thank you so much for patching into this episode of The Overnight Escape. Listen, I never know, I never know what's going to happen on this show, and you don't either. No one knows. This, this show is wild. It started off with that weird dream early in the morning. and Oh, my God. 
all sorts of wild stuff. Anyways, I want to thank you so, so much uh, for patching into this episode of The Overnight Escape. I'm your host, Frank Edward Nora. We're here in the Ansuk, a radio station inside a book, which I would like to say is anything but boring. It's a very interesting place to be. With over 13,000 hours of material, over 10,000 individual episodes, and very soon, and perhaps even now, we are sliding into the 1.5 years of audio. Yes, the le- uh, as of the end of last month, we were at uh, one year, uh, five months, and 28 point something days. So... A year and a half of solid audio. That's a lot of audio. And, um, yeah, I did finish. I finished the book, uh, you know, the October version of the book, the 979 version. Anyway, um, just go to onsug.com for all your needs. Or if you're in the future, just grab a copy of the book. Everything's in the book. The radio station is inside the book, right? That is the goal. Uh, this is a non-commercial project, so all the help you, you can provide we appreciate again. It's since it's non-commercial, we're not asking for money. We're asking for uh, your attention and maybe spread the word, help preserve the files. Be you in the near or far future, right? We'd love you to help preserve this because it's not some sort of big corporation. It's a little bubble of interestingness in in a sea of mediocrity. <laughs> it's a bit of an arrogant thing to say. Well, I'm a bit arrogant. What do you want? You, sometimes arrogance is good. Anyway, uh, yes, uh, right now go to onsug.com, O-N-S-U-G.com. That's short for the Overnight Scape Underground, right? Overnight Scape Underground, O-N-S-U-G, right? Um, go to onsug.com, get all the latest shows. You can participate in a show called Overnight Scape Central. Listen to the latest episode for all the information. The next topic is the, the Late Late Show. So get into that. What, do you, what does the Late Late Show mean to you? It can mean a lot of things. Overnight television, overnight radio, very romantic stuff. More airplanes. Why are the airplanes so much louder when it's raining? Like the raindrops are carrying the sound down? It's a theory, but not a good one. I don't think that's how it works. It could be... Uh, but it could be... Uh, hu- humidity vibrations no they just sound louder just like cars sound louder driving down the street when there's water (coughs) even if it's not splashing the contact of the tires to the wet pavement is just louder causes more sound I'm sure that's been investigated listen to that it's like little splashing right little local splashing yeah the sound of that anyway Check it out. Um, there's a huge amount, and the, I'm, I'm going to keep working on the book, making it better and better, and incorporating the audio files into it eventually with a piece of technology that kind of hard right now in 2022 to get that going, but hopefully soon. I mean, I know I could embed an MP3 player into a book somehow, but it sounds like a very expensive thing to do. I'd like to have a physical book, but with electronics sort of embedded in the covers and stuff and in the spine kind of right elegantly embedded in a speaker incorporated into one of the covers or something and right this does seem to be something that would require a bit of a little bit of a higher tech level maybe mid 2020s late 2020s we'll see and of course as a virtual object in the metaverse it will function it would be easier to make it function like that 
I would think. Anyways, check it out. This is the Onsug radio station in the book. And this is one show in the Onsug, the Overnightscape. Anyway, now, a, a resonance of a different variety. An audio pleasure dome. What does it say? Uh, where Alf the Sacred River ran, you'll find something like an interior decor store from like 2001. What sense does that make? It had two levels, but it was part of a larger whole known as the other side. Hi, Max Headroom here with this is my guest. <laughs> I heard you were big time in the old pop biz. <laughs> well, I'm going to take that as a no comment. So, nitty gritty time. What I'm talking about, and you're not, is that more people prefer the new refreshing taste of Coke over Pepsi. Sweating? It's true. More people are, as we cocologists say, catching the wave. Catch it if you can, can. Catch the wave. Coke. <sighs>
he says, now here's Mr. Kwanzaa. <laughs> Good evening, my friends. Uh, welcome back, everybody. I'm Tom. The color cast is on the air now for Wednesday night, uh, December the 9th, 1998. Jewel, the singer and performer, is here tonight. And the amazing story of Georgia Durante. You will not believe this one. And you on the uh, toll-free. You know, we have a new problem here in Southern California, which our weather forecasters are keeping us advised of on a nightly basis, and that is wind. We have a wind alert in Los Angeles. Now, in some parts of the city, in the mountain areas and out in the valley, I guess it's blowing pretty good. But in most parts of Los Angeles, it is perfectly calm. Coming in here this evening, we have a new way of entering the immense broadcast facility here at CBS. They've, uh, they've, they've closed the old entrance because it was uh, not secure. And CBS doesn't want just anybody coming in here, I can tell you. And we have a new location now, a new entrance, a main gate that, uh, that allows you into the immense broadcast facility. And what they have there is uh, an old-fashioned gate that a guy has to come out and crank up by hand. And I mean, it's been cold and windy and rainy here for the last couple of weeks at night in Southern California. So coming in tonight, I talked with Charles, who's the guard on duty in the evening when I come in. I said, you know, they, you, you would think with all the money that this company uh, uh, generates, they could at least install uh, an electric-powered gate for you. And Charles says, yeah, you would think so. So, you know, Les, if you're watching, or Karmazan back there, let's get the power gate in here for Charles out here at night. It's cold out here in California. Thank you, thank, thank you very much. Now, last night we did something that you would have enjoyed. It's called Go Out and See Mark Kennedy's Car. <laughs> Mark has a variety of cars. They're beautiful cars. And last night Mark brought in his classic Thunderbird uh, Roadster, you know, where the top disappears into the trunk. And naturally, when you go out and play with Mark Kennedy's car, he has several that he brings in on a rotating basis, you want to try all the bells and whistles on Mark Kennedy's car. So I slid behind the wheel of the Thunderbird last night, you know, and they got the steering wheel that, remember that comes over, the tilt-away, swing-away wheel? And I noticed that one of the headlights was out. I said, uh, you know, Mark, the headlight on your car on the right-hand side doesn't work. He said, just a second, I'll fix it. He goes over, wham! Headlight comes on. He says, there, see, problem solved. I said, great. Now, naturally, when you go out to see Mark Kennedy's car, you want to play with all the stuff. And so, you know, you turn the radio on. Uh, you would turn the air conditioner on, but it doesn't have one. And, <laughs> you know, a dollar saved is a dollar earned. And then you want to make the windows go up and down. Now, there's a window on the back side over here, a little quarter window, they call it. I says, Mark, the window doesn't go down. He says, just a second. Goes over, wham! Window goes down perfectly. <laughs> That's what we do here at night. We go out and see Mark Kennedy's car. Fabulous thing. And then today at the dog park, I had another new experience in my life to follow up on Let's Visit Mark Kennedy's Car. That was when Oliver found a dog that I call Louis the Humper. <laughs> Man, this dog, I'm sure the dog was neutered years ago, but I guess some things you never forget, huh? <laughs> anyway, in, in line with that, I thought we'd uh, conclude the monologue with a little story that came in on the email uh, this afternoon, in which a pastor gets up before the congregation and he says, Folks, today, I'm going to say a word, not necessarily funny, and you sing a song that goes along with the word. So he says the word rock, and the congregation sang Rock of Ages. The minister said cross, and the people sang the old rugged cross. Then the minister said the word power, the congregation sang power in the blood. And finally the minister said sex. And they all sat in shock, dumbfounded, and finally way in the back, way, 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 way in the back, an 87-year-old lady stood up and began to sing Precious Memories. I'm Tom, you're watching CBS. <laughs> And thanks for catching our pictures as we fly them through the air. <laughs>
Every other month, Launch, the entertainment CD-ROM, comes packed with the latest in music and movies. See exclusive Launch interviews and live performances with your favorite bands. And now you can check out Launch and save 58%. Just call this toll-free number. Hang out with great artists like Alanis Morissette, Bush, and Soundgarden. Hear them say things you can't hear anywhere else. And as a girl, I'm really burdened by it. Launch also gets you the inside scoop from stars like Alicia Silverstone and Sinbad. Meet me online. And now, for a limited time, you can check out Launch and save 58%. Just call this number. You'll get a full year subscription, a $60 value, for only $24.95. Call now. This is a limited time offer. And that's not all. Order now and you'll also receive, absolutely free, this great CD disc wallet, an additional $12 value. So don't miss out. Get yours. Get Launch. Call now.
ma'am. saying gang wood channel 44's got all those good programs and some more fun coming up right now bedrock's first family the flintstone today at 4 30 on kbhk tv 44 san francisco The young prince rides out here beyond the gate. Sure is a mighty lonesome country. Don't see a soul. I know where we are. We're in China. Now, how do you know that? Look, this is a Chinese coin. You're right, it is. If we're in China, how come we ain't upside down? I mean, the ground ought to be up here in us standing on it with our heads hanging down. Our heads are hanging down, only we don't know it. Let's go someplace where we can see where we are. Here's the Star Wars X-Wing fighter and the Star Wars TIE fighter. Spaceships and Luke Skywalker sold separately. Batteries not included. I'll get you this time, Luke. Reactivate X-Wing. Both with flashing lights and sound. Ahead, there go the solar panels. And Darth Vader got away. Force is with me. Luke Skywalker wins again. Kenner's Star Wars X-Wing fighter, TIE fighter, and action figures all sold separately. the Duncan Butterfly for string tricks, and others like the Duncan Professional for its spinning performance. You can spin it around to the sky or the ground. It's fun to throw a Duncan yo-yo. Duncan Butterfly and Duncan Professional, two of 12 models made by Duncan Yo-Yo, each sold separately. From Duncan Toys.
pleasure all stretched out Soon, soon, soon I'm gonna do this dance with you Tears out of my eyes Moon, I said You're gonna teach me how to die Drive, drive, drive Till the thinking drives you nuts Thank you. Now, we all know the expression, wow, we use it all the time. For instance, when we're surprised, we say, <gasps> wow. <laughs> and when we're pleased, we say, oh, wow. And when we're having fun, we say, wow. <laughs> and that's what wow is. Wow is fun and it surprises, but it's much, much more than that. Yep. It's the past and it's the present and it's the future. Wow is a feeling of nostalgia. It's the past meeting the present, and it's the future coming up on us. It shows us that we can all come together 
and that all the eras past have brought new things to our lives. That's what wow is. Wow is excitement. Wow is laughter. Wow is fun. Wow is now. ABC proudly presents Tim Barry's Wow Show. With Laura Lacey. Billy Van. Carl Gottlieb, The New Seekers, Barbara Joyce, and starring Ken Barry. Wow is the wonder that gives life a kick. Wow is the thing that makes show business click. Whether it's drama or comedy stick, it's wow, wow, wow. Wow's to uh, brag about my sense of humor, but, well, I have a terrific wit, and I'm always pulling jokes on my friends, you know, and a friend of mine who has this really big nose came down to the studio one day, and we're always playing jokes on each other, and I, I looked at him, and he looked at me, and I said to him, hey, is that your nose, or are you eating a banana? <laughs> What's the matter with you people? Don't you have a sense of humor?
Back in the early 1960s, when the laser was first being developed, it was viewed by some as a fascinating research tool. Others called it a science fiction toy. Since that time, the laser has proved to be an instrument of many uses. In fact, in many places, it's becoming a part of everyday life. Take, for example, what's happening at some supermarkets. Food shopping Americans are coming face to face with lasers and computers for the first time, but they're hardly aware of it until they get to the checkout line. With scarcely a glance at the items, the clerk sweeps them across an aperture where a special marking on each item is scanned by a low-powered laser beam inside the machine connected to a remote computer. It started a few years ago when food processors agreed the time had come to put code markings on every one of their thousands of food products. This would make them instantly identifiable to a computer. The scanning laser beam was an ideal device for reading these markings and so the universal product code was born. Practically every package today, every can and bottle, has these unique symbols. Gone is the time-consuming stamping of prices on each item. Prices are shown on the shelf. This new technology promises to keep food products moving smoothly on and off supermarket shelves, which will help keep overhead down and prices stable. At the end of each business day, the remotely located computer gives the store manager a total picture of the day's transactions, what he needs to restock, how much, and what he can mark down and put on sale. As for the customer, the most dramatic change is the way checkout lines keep moving. Since the cashier no longer has to worry about punching in each item and making change, the groceries are scanned and bagged rapidly. For the first time, the customer can see the transaction recorded and gets a receipt on which every item is printed by brand name, its price, even the time of purchase. And what's more, even the computer doesn't forget to say, thank you. I'm shaking, I'm shaking, I'm 